Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this episode are Alessandro, Sydney, and Nick. You can find us individually on Twitter, and you can also follow the show at JLU Podcast. And we have finally arrived at scene 12 of <laughs> Justice League. Uh, I almost couldn't contain myself in the intro because uh, this is one of those scenes where we're going to dig into it, I guess, because we go scene by scene through the whole movie. So where we are... Let's just get into it. <laughs> this is Lois and Martha's conversation at the Daily Planet building. So... Um, this scene has uh, has garnered a lot of reactions from people, but let's start at the beginning of the scene. So there is, uh, we start on a TV screen, and there's a local news anchor of some sort, and he's he throws it over to like a field piece, and uh, we have um, we have well, I don't know what do we have here. <laughs> uh, we have a woman who says that uh, aliens stole my husband. That's a that's a lower third graphic on the news broadcast. And she's telling the story about her husband, and it's uh, it's kind of odd. I don't know if you feel this way, uh, Sam, but hmm. this comes at the heels of Diana seeing the news report about the message from the Amazons. Correct? Yeah. So, so we go from this uh, sequence of Steppenwolf coming after the mother box on the mascara, and then Hippolyta sending the message to Diana because she knows that Diana will recognize it, and Diana sees it and says, invasion. And then we come to this scene where it starts with a comedic scene. Right, but it's also a TV screen, right? So it's kind of like, I guess they probably thought this was like a clever transition because Diana is looking at a TV screen to see, you know, the, the flame burning. And then we go to this scene on a TV screen. So it's like, oh, yeah, we will transition through the TV screen. But now we'll be in a different location and a different you know, news report. That's probably what they were thinking, like a, a sly way to get in, get from scene to scene. I, I can probably see why that case could be made. But the quality <laughs> of the different broadcasts are very noticeable. Yeah. Um, and, and the difference in tone, I think, is what's more criminal right. here. Because you go from having uh, a serious setup of an alien invasion, right. something that is so serious that the Amazons send a fire message to Wonder Woman. And, and then, we just saw Amazons who gave their lives to try yes. to protect this mother box, but Steppenwolf actually got the mother box. So this, this is supposed to be like threat level rising, you know, danger level rising. Desperation. And Di- yeah. And then Diana, appropriately gets very concerned and realizes what it means, invasion. So all of that was building up like increase in tension. Um, the threat is coming, you know, we're, we're moving to another level of threat. And so that I think is, I totally agree with you. It is really jarring to then just try to throw to some really lowbrow humor. Yeah, it, for me, it really zaps all of that tension and all of that drama that had yeah. been built up before uh, with the Steppenwolf attack in the Amazons, and it just it sucks out all of that air. Yeah, and so if you were trying to actually get into the tension, then this this place for humor seems counterproductive. Like uh, Alessandro, he said, like, some people in the theater maybe laughed, but Alessandro said, like, I did not even smile at this because, first of all, he's like, this is stupid. It's, like, sickening to see what's happening to the movie is, like, in Alessandro's view. 
But also, I could see that for anybody who was actually getting caught up into the threat is not really going to find this funny because it's almost making fun of it. And if we think back to Howard, if we were supposed to actually be concerned for Howard, he's been kidnapped, he's in danger, what's going to happen to him? You shouldn't make jokes literally at Howard's expense and with Howard's wife. Like if that was supposed to actually be something that we're concerned about, then that's not where you put the jokes. Yeah, I mean, some someone's life is in danger and this should be a really serious thing. And they make it, even the Anchorman, I'm sorry, but the Anchorman is goofy. Yeah. So, uh, so some of that, I just, I, I think it's really, really unfortunate because I think it does undermine the, the threat level that's, that's going on here. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're against humor in general. We're just saying that we don't like humor that undercuts something that the movie is actually trying to achieve, like in terms of emotional build and threats and stuff like that. The previous scene had some humor in it uh, with Diana at the museum. He said, you know, hey, Diana, how was your evening? Oh, nothing interesting. They were not making fun at the expense of Howard, who is actually in the danger. They were, you know, Diana was not yet aware of the threat. Diana has no idea about Howard, right? So it's humor that is separate from the tension that's being built. So for me, that is humor that I'm fine with and I can enjoy. This one is humor that was after Diana realized the threat and the invasion and it's humor that's at the expense of Howard, who is supposed to be in danger. We're supposed to be concerned about him. So like for me, it's like night and day in terms of what humor works and what kind of humor doesn't work. That's a really great point uh, about how Diana sort of makes that joke before she knows that there's an alien invasion threat. Um, and I also think that uh, the recipient of the joke, I guess, the person who is the butt of the joke, uh, I think that's also important, too. Diana sort of makes that joke about herself. It's almost a self-deprecating sense of humor where she knows she's Wonder Woman. She knows she's out there doing all these awesome things, but she kind of makes it like it's no big deal. Um, So I think that that's definitely a much more appropriate uh, way to incorporate humor into a scene. Yeah. Now, if I were to take it out of the context and if I was just to look at it on its own as an attempt at humor, the anal probe thing I feel like is about a 15-year-old kind of joke. Uh, sorry, I mean like it's a joke that 15-year-olds would make, but I also mean that it's like been around for 15 years. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, we've heard yeah, yeah. the anal probe joke, you know, South Park did it probably 20 years ago. So for me, it's kind of a cliche old joke. And so that makes it less funny. Now, if I am am judging the humor just on its own, I will say one thing that's a little bit funny to me, not to Alessandro, but to me, it's a little bit funny that after the TV is muted and Lois is walking away, you can see that the woman is still swearing like seven <laughs> or eight cusses in a row. So if I took it, if I took it out of the movie and I was just looking at it on its own, that's a little bit funny how much cussing she's doing and it's getting bleeped out and it's even when it's muted, she's still cussing. A little bit funny. That that local news station is going to rack up those uh, FCC violations. They're going to be paying <laughs> a lot of money for that. Hopefully they have a seven second delay where they can uh, get out of that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's... It's something that if you if you just if it came at you really quickly, maybe you would laugh at it. But when when I actually look at the context of the scene, it's uh, it's bothersome to me because you know in, in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, they did a really effective job of showing why the media was important to the story. Mm-hmm. That they were kind, it was kind of a 
a, a character in the background who was oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. not only just helping you uh, further the exposition and understand what was going on in the scenes, mm-hmm. it was playing a part in the narrative that Lex Luthor was creating. It had a it had a part to play. Right. Well, here it's just kind of this background noise that Lois has on in the office. So I yeah. and and I think it's even weird. Maybe this is just me reading into it, but I don't. I think it's just strange that uh, it, it seems like Amy Adams had no idea what was on that TV when she, you know, fake turned it off or muted it, I guess. She doesn't react at all to this alien story on the TV. You would think she'd have some sort of confused or bewildered face on her, but mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't react to it at all. So uh, it makes me wonder, did did Amy Adams not know what was going to be on that screen when they shot this moment? Uh, so I just I just think it's a very awkward transition from the diana scene to this uh, this reuniting of lois and martha it's just all very awkward yeah um she might not have known what's on the screen and the filmmakers might not have even known what was gonna be on the screen like they might say yeah we'll put something up there later you know like some sort of reminder of the plot or something like that um you know with the uh kidnappings happening or something like that um yeah that's it's very possible but uh lois mutes it she walks away and so we get into the the conversation, so I, I wish we could say that the controversies and stuff were over, but we're going to still have <laughs> some more of them. But it starts out okay. Like, it it's not well horrible right away. We're, we're coming to something that we'll have more to say about later. But the first part of it is just uh, following up on what we saw about Martha Kent, which we saw early on in the film in the montage uh, with the World Without Superman kind of thing, that she had moved out of her... Uh, farmhouse in Smallville and that it was being foreclosed by the bank. So we get a little bit of a follow-up on that with Martha saying, oh, you know, I got behind on my payments and the bank kind of took it. And so you kind of get the sense that Martha is not quite adjusted yet and is having some turmoil in her life because her son is gone, you know? Yeah. And she mentions that, you know, the, the Kent farm was too big for her anyway. And she felt like she was walking around like a ghost. So some of that I think is, appropriate for the character in this uh given point in in the in the movie that she um is trying to rationalize why she's having to move out she probably doesn't want to i'm guessing she wouldn't really want to leave if she had the choice but it sounds like she uh has no other choice and she's uh just kind of rationalizing it in her brain and giving her reasons to make it okay that she's having to leave this place where she shared a life with jonathan and clark so uh, I, I do feel a little bit for, for Martha in this moment because she has to, to leave this place where she has so many memories. And uh, so I, I do appreciate that Lois wanted to help her. Uh, so they do have a, a little bit of a, a back and forth about uh, the, the Kent farm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what the idea behind the scene was um, when it was inserted into the movie was let's just check in on where Martha is and where Lois are in moving on from Clark's death. You know, so we hear, okay, Martha's living by the diner. She lost, you know, foreclosed on, but it was kind of by choice that she, you know, didn't want to live in the farmhouse anymore. And then we're going to check in with Lois and, oh, she's, she's not really a hundred percent. She's not fully into her work anymore. She's kind of taking some time to reorient herself and grieve and that sort of thing. So, I'm guessing that was the idea behind the scene. And there are there's a little bit of the di- dynamics between Martha and Lois, but um, I mean, so Clark died. That's a huge deal. 
But I also don't like it that these women, the only thing they have to do in the movie is just to react to the fact that Clark has died. You know, they, neither of them actually has a subplot that they are following. They're just basically, let's check in with them and see how they're grieving about Clark instead of actually, you know, having some sort of story and growth or something like that for their own character. Which is a huge departure from the previous two installments in this franchise. Yeah. But both Lois Lane and Martha Kent had uh, substantial roles in both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Um, you know, Lois Lane put Lex Luthor behind bars and Martha Kent, love it or hate it, she was the climax of of Batman v Superman, basically, uh, to to wake up Batman and, and save Superman's life. So uh, I... I think it's really unfortunate. I think that's one of the one of the many reasons I have some dislike for this scene is that it I I find it to be a, a big disrespect to these two characters who have previously been shown to have a lot of story, mm-hmm. to have been treated with a lot of reverence and respect and and mm-hmm. here here they are, you know, one of them making the other one a, a butt of the joke and uh, you know, uh, Martha sort of mm-hmm. cracks a joke about Lois and, and Martha's even, she kind of comes across as old and out of touch. And I think that's really strange because she's yeah. in Man of Steel. She told General Zod to go to hell. You know, this is not yeah. somebody who is just kind of a, a withering old, you know, widow. She's she's someone to be reckoned with if she wants mm-hmm. to be. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just a really unfortunate scene for both of these characters. And she was somebody who was giving, you know, consultation and advice to the most powerful person on the planet. Um, Absolutely. You know, like she was the person that he would go to um, when he needed that advice and stuff. Um, and I, I think she, you know, she loved her son. Um, but I think she also did a good job of not not just telling Clark what he wanted to hear, but telling Clark kind of what he needed to hear from his mom at the time. Uh, but yeah, so for me, this is another departure. Like you said, it's a departure in terms of the large scale character arc and purpose of the women it's also a departure on the characterization in this scene it seems like whoever wrote this scene i think i probably know who it is but whoever (laughs) wrote it um seemed to just pluck a new character trait out and give it to martha kent for this scene which is like she blurts out things the wrong way or something and then like reels it back in or tries to correct it she does that two or three times in the scene one of them is a very famous time that we'll get to but you know, she she does it other times, too. I never had that pegged as part of the Martha Kent character. Like, to me, she was never somebody who, like, oh, she blabbed something out, and then, oh, she didn't mean to say it that way. Like, I never got that about her before. Yeah, and that's uh, something that's a lot different, especially since the last time we saw them together before this is at the end of Batman v Superman, where they go to Clark's funeral. And mm-hmm. there's that really nice scene where... Martha goes into Clark's bedroom where Lois is laying down on the bed and, and she gives her the ring and all of that. And it's a really sweet moment. They have a nice connection there. And they're at Clark's funeral, you know, kind of arm in arm, helping each other get through the grief and leaning in on each other for comfort. Mm-hmm. And they seemed very, you know, in sync and uh, not needing a lot of words to communicate how each other was feeling. And so it it is a very different dynamic here in the scene. Mm-hmm. We also have this guy that comes in um, from the Daily Planet. I guess he's supposed to be like uh, an underling kind of reporter, like somebody that's not to the level of Lois Lane. And so it's kind of uh, it's highlighting the fact that 
random guy is getting the kidnapping story instead of Lois Lane, you know, and then Martha even comments like you should have that story. So it's kind of showing like, look at look at that guy. Like he is getting this this story that actually turns out to be like a very important story. Of course, we're not going to ever see that guy again in the movie. Um, but he he comes in. He comes in basically to remind us that there's this kidnapping, which we also we already been reminded about it from the TV report. Right. Yeah. That that's a good point. That we're we're getting the information twice here, which mm-hmm. seems a little redundant and a little overkill. I think it's also trying to show that Lois kind of doesn't care. She's not at this point. She she's not really feeling her job. She doesn't want to have anything to do with big stories she's she's doing stories you know puff pieces about kitten grooming and all these kinds of smaller stories and that even kind of made Martha laugh and I it, it's just it's sad to you know see someone come in and take Lois's story from her I can understand that you know in the character of Lois at this point in her journey she would feel some sadness walking into the Daily Planet where she probably went with Clark every day and they sat near each other at work and they saw each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And so for her to go there by herself now even though she had you know before Clark showed up she went there all the time probably by herself but after having Clark in her life and then not having Clark in her life that probably did make a big difference mm-hmm. but uh Lois just seems really kind of beat up and um not wanting to do anything and it's it's very sad to see her her like that i know they try to give her like a little clever moment where she sort of tricks that random guy about the the source but mm-hmm. i don't know i think it's i don't i don't know that it accomplishes anything other than that it, it all the whole interaction is very surface level it doesn't yeah. it doesn't do multiple things right and like you know both of us are huge fans of bvs and in bvs we went through the whole movie and every time that we would look at a moment like this we would actually make some additional connections and see some insights and be like, oh, wow, that actually also, you know, connects to this theme that's been going throughout. We've looked at this TV report and we've looked at this random guy that comes in. And I think there isn't really a deeper part to it. It doesn't connect into some underlying themes of the movie that I can see. I think it's basically we'll have this guy come in. He'll have a little Daily Planet banter and he will remind the audience that there is these kidnappings. To me, that seems like that was how it was written, and that's what it does. And it's, you know, like you said, it's very surface level from what I can tell. In BVS and in Man of Steel, I think, um, those ones, they wouldn't just throw surface stuff like that in there. Everything was kind of like part of the bigger tapestry. Yeah, in, in good screenwriting, I've, I've always been told that your scene should accomplish more than one thing. Mm-hmm. It should be doing multiple things in the scene. Um, and so this, I don't, I don't particularly, th- uh, particularly this, this find this. This one does this... the same thing multiple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't find this to be uh, written very well. It, it may have been written very quickly. I don't know. Maybe it was written to accomplish one thing and one thing only. But I think if you wanted it to, uh, to analyze it for, you know, it, whether or not it was good writing, I, I think it needs to. In order for it to be good writing, I should say, it needs to accomplish more than one thing. And I also thought it was weird just on a visual uh, that this random guy who shows up in the break room just interrupts their conversation. He's carrying a notepad, which I thought was hilariously out of date. I guess mm-hmm. maybe they thought, oh, journalists, you know, back in the 1940s, they used notepads. <laughs> and so the guy comes in with his notepad like he's going to, you know, jot something down in His Girl Friday 
And I just thought it, it sort of sets us back a few years, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a few decades even, with uh, the technology of where journalism is shown to be in this universe. And Man of Steel, Lois is using tablets. She's using, you know, mm-hmm. iPads and things. I think even Jenny had one in Batman v Superman. So mm-hmm. here, here, here we're even going backwards in terms of the, the way journalism is represented here in this scene. I, I just, even on a, a surface visual level, I thought that that was really strange. Yeah, because what was he expecting to write down the source? But like... <laughs> Did he think that Lois would say what her source was and then, like, dictate the email address? Like, yeah, <laughs> my, my source is Sally Williams, and her email address is Williams, S72, at blah, blah. <laughs> like, Lois is just going to have the email address. No, like, what would really happen is you would say, like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about this. Hey, can you shoot, shoot it to me? And then she would email it over or she would text it over or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I've never heard anybody dictate aloud an email address like that, you know, just walking into a room. That's probably a nitpick, but I just thought it was interesting that we've previously seen Lois operate a certain way with the technology that was available to her at the Daily Planet. And then we get this representation of this guy who looks like he stepped out of the 1940s. So No, that, that I, I don't think it's a nitpick. I, I think that's the biggest criticism that I've usually seen of this scene <laughs> <laughs> is the notepad. <laughs> No, we let's let's get to the the actual biggest complaint about the scene. So Martha and Lois and are talking and Martha says, I'm kind of surprised that you're not working, you know, back to work and stuff because Clark always said you were the thirstiest woman he knows or whatever it was. Uh, Then there's a a beat of kind of, you know, Lois eyes kind of going big off to the side at the phrase thirstiest and then Martha corrects herself oh i mean hungriest hungriest hilarious well the the sad thing is uh that when i saw this for the first time in in uh the fan viewing there was a fan viewing a few days before the the movie Mm -hmm. released in theaters and yeah i went to that too everyone in my theater laughed at it wow everyone and I think that that, you know, they probably had a test screening and it played just like that on the test screening and they thought that that was great. But if if I can put some context around this moment, Sam, I think it mm-hmm. would help uh, me uh, articulate and communicate why I find this uh, so dis- <laughs> disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Just because Lois Lane in this universe, uh, in Batman v Superman, she is set up to be the most important character in this entire thing. She's called the key. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't really play that up much in this movie, but in Batman v Superman, we previously knew her as the key. She was supposed to be the most important person. Even in Batman v Superman prior to this Superman and Clark refers to her as his world. Um and here she is being the butt of a joke, being referred to as, you know, thirsty, and it sh- it just sort of deflates all of that importance that was placed on Lois previously and why she was so important to Clark, why she was so important to the the idea of Superman. And here she is uh, being the butt of a joke. And I, I think that's, that's really unfortunate for the character of Lois Lane. And I think that does a real disrespect to her part in this adaptation of the DC universe. Yeah. And one of the things that I liked about Man of Steel and BVS was that Clark and Lois's relationship was not based on um, flirty allusions to underwear or like, you know, sexual situations or anything like that. I felt like they had a very mature, like, and it was presented respectfully, uh, adult relationship. 
the original Superman movie, people said it had a lot of charm, but I never really resonated with the flirtation and stuff that uh, the way that they did the flirtation in the um, classic Superman movie. So I liked that about Man of Steel, a BVS. But now here we get this little side allusion to their sexual relationship. And it also is not an active relationship. He's dead. So like it's an allusion to their past sexual relationship before he died. Like to me, you usually would not bring up sex for somebody that's deceased. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, that's definitely weird. There is one good thing I like about this scene is that Lois and Martha recognize their uh, relationship to each other. Mm-hmm. Martha refers to herself as Lois's mother-in-law, and Lois seems like right. she likes the idea of that. Mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. that that's really nice. And Lois has the ring on, which I like as well. Which, unfortunately, never gets a payoff um, whatsoever, mm-hmm. but... In this, I'm going to say, in this cut of the movie, uh, she doesn't get any payoff with the ring. But it's just weird when you put it, when you put Thirsty in the context of a sexual relationship and to have the mother-in-law say that to her daughter-in-law, it's not right. Mm -hmm. You're right, because this was after the mother-in-law, like, was established. So, yeah. Yeah, so multiple levels uh, doesn't quite work. Um, Alessandro's word for this was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, let's go on into the scene, uh, where Martha tries to reclaim a little bit of the conversation and stuff. And then she says, uh, you're the hungriest, you know, and then she kind of tries to say about back to Lois's work, you know, she says, Clark always said you could smell a story. Um, and then, you know, promise that you'd have another Pulitzer for me. Smell is a word that always like sticks out to me whenever I hear it. Cause it's not a common word that people like use smell. But she says you could smell a story. And later on, there's a scene with Clark and Lois where um, the the word smell comes up again. And it's uh, Clark saying you smell good. So for some reason, there's smell going on with Lois. Again, in BVS, if a word was repeated, you could trace it and you'd have this elegant motif. And the motif usually connected with a bigger theme. Here, I've noticed the word smell twice in relation to Lois doesn't really do anything for me like conceptually (laughs) yeah we've gotten anal probes and lois smelling things um it's just very very strange um but yeah you're right i think that if you if you had something like that where it is repeated many times it should have a meaning it should go back to something Mm -hmm. yeah i guess you could you could connect it back to uh her telling clark that he smelled good it's a weird choice. I, I don't know how else to say it. Just a lot about this scene is just a weird choice. And there's at least one more weird choice that you heard in preparation for the episode. Yeah, so I hadn't really watched this scene a lot uh, since it uh, disgusted me the first couple of times I watched it. Um, and so I, I kind of put it aside, didn't pay any attention to it. And then I listened to it with earbuds in and I noticed um, that there's there's a moment Martha says, uh, she starts this line of dialogue. She says, and Clark always promised me. And during that part of the dialogue, there's a musical cue that sounds like uh, Hans Zimmer's Kryptonian music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, uh, it, it's very it's very short. It's like maybe two notes. But I just think it's a, it's a weird 
it's just I, I just don't understand the choice behind that because when Zimmer would use that music, it would be if there was something related to Krypton or the Kryptonian scout ship or you know uh, the Fortress of Solitude or something like that. Um, they're not talking about Superman. They're talking more so about Clark. So if you were talking about Clark in the scene, uh, musically, it would be more appropriate to have the, you know, the piano notes uh, that uh, bring in his his humble theme. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just I just question it. I just I think it's very, very bizarre. It's it's almost like nobody who was associated with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman were around when they were doing this. And no one questioned them on it to say, hey, maybe that is not maybe the right time to use that cue. Mm-hmm. So I just I just thought it was strange when I when I listened to it because I hadn't heard that before. And then I was wondering why it was even there in the first place. Yeah, thankfully, it, it's not an extended sampling or anything like that. It, it, you, you, It's easy to not even notice it. But then if you do notice it, you're kind of like, hmm, that's a weird choice. But then luckily it goes away and it kind of just becomes like generic string music for the end of the scene. But yeah, those there's kind of two notes that come in across the top, sort of like a soaring steel guitar or something like that. Yeah, that would definitely not be... Like there's a lot of music that I want to bring back around from Man of Steel and BBS, um, but this would not be the place, and that would not be the the one I would choose right now. Yeah, I think those those kinds of moments are you have to use the right music in the right setting in the right time and the and in, in the you know cueing the right moment. And I just I, I think that was the wrong choice, and I just I. I I just don't understand it. I don't understand it because I think that there's another moment in this movie where they do go into the uh, one of the Kryptonian ships uh, where mm-hmm. Zod was transformed into Doomsday. And there is a little bit of that Hans Zimmer Kryptonian music. That right. is an appropriate use of it, even though yeah. they, they should have yeah. used Hans Zimmer's Superman stuff way more in this movie than they did. That yeah. at least was an appropriate use of it. Here in this scene, I don't think it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I th- I'm just thankful that it's kind of only two notes and that it doesn't really continue with the theme. It kind of abandons it. So it's you can kind of try to go back to the point where you didn't even notice it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I, I will try to, but now that I've heard it, I don't know that I can unhear it. <laughs> so definitely have some some qualms with the scene um <laughs> that's fitting in nicely but we do you know we are checking in with lois so if we wanted to try to put an arc on lois we could say she's mourning the loss of superman and clark um she's not working she's not her normal self she gets clark superman back and then that is a reinsertion of you know her professional vigor and her passion and things like that so then it could be that her arc concludes by the end of the movie where we have a narration where she kind of is saying like, hey, hope was hope was there all along and, you know, look up to the sky, that sort of thing. So maybe there's a connection here in terms of her story beats of going from not writing, not working to at the end, I am going to write this story about uh, Superman and heroes. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, thing to assess. I think we do get to see, you know, she's sort of down on her job and and. Uh, what she wants to do because she doesn't think it's she doesn't feel right at the Daily Planet without Clark. And by the end of it, when Superman has come back, she feels like 
her place uh, at the Daily Planet, you know, she can go back to that. Although I don't know what that says about her self-confidence, that she thinks that she can't do that without a man. Like, she was doing that without Clark for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll understand that, you know, it's part of an emotional separation that's causing her to have those doubts. So I'll try to go with that. But um, I, I think when you, when you kind of uh, drill it down. I don't know if that has a good message to it or not, because I think Lois should be able to pick herself up uh, no matter what, but that may mm-hmm. be just a personal gripe there. Um, she, she has a line that says, uh, she says, stories make sense. It was more than just a puzzle. It was about the truth. It was about seeing the engine of the world when it still ran. Mm-hmm. The one thing I do like about this line of dialogue is that she emphasizes the truth. Lois Lane is a character, especially in this universe uh, in particular, uh, who is always about the truth. She's always talking about the truth. She talks about it in, in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. It's very forefront to her character. It's the essence of her character. So I like that she uses it here, but I don't know that I fully understand this line. It sort of comes out of nowhere. It's very mm-hmm. tonally different than what else is happening in the scene. For most yeah. of the scene, it's jokey mm-hmm. and anal probes and uh, you know, being thirsty. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the scene, she's trying to have a serious, reflective moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, and I would love your thoughts on this, Sam. I don't fully understand what she's trying to say here. I guess she's reflecting on the fact that without Clark in her life, she feels like the, the you know, the world has stopped spinning and, uh, and she, you know, her life has stopped spinning because he's mm-hmm. not in it. I don't know. I'm having a diffi- uh, difficult time interpreting it. Yeah, it's pretty clunky too, um, like mixing metaphors, I guess you would call it, because yeah. stories make sense. It was more than just a puzzle. So now there's this metaphor of like trying to figure things out is like putting together a puzzle. Um, it's about truth. It's about seeing the engine of the world. So now we've already abandoned the puzzle metaphor and we're switching to an engine metaphor. Yeah. But we don't really get anything out of the either metaphor. We don't really get more nuance out of the puzzle metaphor and we don't get more nuance out of the engine metaphor. It's just like I'm going to throw two metaphors in at the same time and just mix them up. And also, if if you're a fan of this universe, and if you say engine of the world, that's a world engine. That's a very important phrase. And I don't see, like, that doesn't make sense here. And also in terms of the world, that is uh, what Lois, it, she symbolizes that. She's Clark slash Superman's world. So um, for me, I think this would work a little better if there was a play on world to somehow talk about her feelings um so mm-hmm. yeah I, w- I would agree i think that i that probably really narrows it down as to why i'm so confused about this line of dialogue is because it is mixing metaphors it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't explain itself very well all right i think we can go ahead and uh put this scene to, to bed uh move <laughs> on but yeah thanks so much rebecca for joining me on this one um yeah this was one of those scenes where when I knew we were analyzing Justice League, I'm like, okay, what's going to happen when we get to that scene? Yeah, this scene is just really unfortunate because I think it's just visually, it's not very interesting. It looks like they were rushing through it. Maybe they did it in one take. Uh, just there's yeah. there's not, there's not a lot going on. It's a two shot and a couple of close ups. Yeah, so the camera kinda, work was very uninspired. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if it was me and I wanted to emphasize Lois's ring, maybe I'd do a shop, shot of her holding her coffee and doing a close-up of the ring, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so visually, it's very unappealing. A lot of the dialogue is very 
awkward and strange and some of it doesn't make any sense the the timing of it coming out off the heels of what diana had seen on the news it was very uh, weirdly timed the music's not even appropriate here so i just <laughs> it, the whole the whole scene is honestly kind of a mess there's a few things that i like about it in terms of the martha lois dynamic where there's a mention of the mother-in-law but of course we don't even get a payoff to that because um there's not even a mention of her being engaged to clark so uh so some of it is you know there might be one or two things in there that you can kind of pull out or at least for me that i can kind of pull out that i like but it's it's a really unfortunate scene all around yeah the the few small good things are overshadowed by the inappropriate and, and uh, ill-chosen things. And it's also not really a very necessary scene. So all that together. We will move on into uh, other scenes next. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you have thoughts on the scene, we'd love to hear them from you. Um, you can find us on Twitter at JLU Podcast. You can email us at jlupodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to be entered into giveaways or get bonus content, you can find our stuff at patreon.com slash jlupodcast.